I'm going to read today's texts, which come from, uh, Barry will be preaching from a proverb. The passages he's had us read is Psalm 12 and, in a moment, Revelation 21. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan. I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl. Its vileness is exalted among the children of man. Psalm 12, the psalmist writes on the subject of deceit and of falseness. And when we turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, we will see the sure end of all of these things. What is the end of falseness and deceit, which is the subject of tonight's message? The revelation given to us, given to John, written down for us, verses 1 through 8 of John, of Revelation, pardon me, 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their, from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray. Lord, we see that in you there is no injustice there is no falseness and so father we are grateful that's you who sits on the throne and you are making all things new lord we await that day with great anticipation father we ask that you would come and that we would be prepared for that arrival for that great day lord when we get to see your face help us this day lord i pray amen welcome i hope you are well You've already heard the word falseness a few times this evening. It's my choice of word for the text that I'm using this evening. Something that I've been meditating on in my own heart, something that's very relevant for my own soul, for my own head, for my own heart, for my own character, and making my own way in the world in, in which we 
live. I feel that as the word plague is used a lot today in our world, that the real plague, I feel, is often a plague of falseness. And a plague of falseness and the symptoms, the symptoms of that plague of falseness, the symptoms are anxiety and insecurity. And all of us are battling for a soundness of mind in the days in which we live. And so the subject of falseness, I believe, is very, very relevant. And it's something that I am proposing from my, my text this evening, which is Proverbs 11, chapter, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. Involves this question of falsehood. Nobody would deny that we are all both capable of and sometimes practice falsehood and are at times also keenly aware of how much pain is in the world on account of falsehood. But the question I want to raise this evening is this, that I believe is so significant for our minds and souls. Is there anywhere that falseness does not exist? In other words, is there falsehood in God? And that's why I found these words from Proverbs chapter 11 so precious. When I read it, they, they jumped out at me when it says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. It is first and foremost a revelation of God in this particular text. It says something that is true about God. How we think about God, of course, matters very, very much. And it's a discipline that we need to be fully engaged in our lives all the time, of not only understanding that how we think matters, but more importantly, how we think about God matters. We put our feet out of the bed in the morning and put them on the floor and begin our day and thoughts start to go through our head. We're immediately thinking and living and acting in a way that corresponds to what do we think about reality? What do we think about God himself? What is he like? I encourage you in the morning, in the darkness of the morning, when those feet do hit the floor, first of all, say, thank you, Lord, <laughs> for a new day. But take a moment and worship the Lord. He is great. And he is real. Our thoughts about God matter greatly. And in this text, first and foremost, our thoughts about God. Thoughts that establish our path, establish our, the health of our mind and of our soul and the character that we show in our life. The question of falseness in God is also very relevant to our series on Abraham. Remember that the in the story of Abraham, it's not really a story of Abraham, it's a story about God. And what we learn in the story is not so much something about Abraham, we learn something about God. Not so much trying to possess the faith of Abraham as the object of Abraham's faith. Not asking the question, what was Abraham like? But asking the more significant question, what was Abraham's God like? As we are today called the children of Abraham, who must also embrace that same God who is the object of our faith. And the story of Abraham is a story of promise, of promise to us. And so the question is still really relevant. Is there any falseness in God? Can God be trusted? Is falseness 
in God possible? Are there any cracks in the God Almighty of heaven? Is there any fissure? Is there any possibility? And in this verse is a, is a revelation of, of a very strong language. Something very, very simple and familiar that we all can immediately identify with. We all been in a market. We know, what a, we know what a balance is. We know what a scale is. And in the word abomination, a very strong language is a, is a revelation of the very being of God. That, God. that A false scale is an abomination to God because it is a contradiction to his very being. And thoughts like that about God in the world in, in which we live today, are so significant. And th- it says that, his, that a, a just weight is his delight. That also is such a wonderful revelation of God because a just weight is a display of his character. If a false balance is a contradiction of his character, a just weight is a display of his character. And so here's, here's the main point that I would like to, to uh, communicate through this proverb about a false balance. That the security and the safety of the human soul, which is critical, I hope you understand that, in the marketplace of worldviews, the competing worldviews, this is what's for sale, this is what's offered. Come into this group of ideas, come into this way of thinking, come into this lens of the world, and this is what will make you feel most safe. This is what will make you feel most secure. That, that is what the different worldviews are competing for. They're competing for where we think we can be convinced that where, where we will be most safe. The security and the safety of the human soul has a very clear dependence upon this revelation of God. It's a revelation of God who abhors all falsehood and has no falsehood in him ever, nor will there ever be any falsehood in God. It's very, very precious words that a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Let me show you what I believe this seemingly obscure little proverb, why it is so significant in the days of which we live, which are days of a heightened awareness of falseness all around us. If there is nothing in this world, if there is nothing at all that opposes falsehood, imagine not just a marketplace. Imagine on a cosmic scale, if there is nothing in the world that says falsehood, that is abhorrent. It places the human soul in the most fearful and insecure place imaginable. The brilliance of this verse is that it takes us into something that is very, very familiar, the marketplace. You all know what it means to go into a market and you you buy something and you use a balance, you use a scale. But it's using that common thing to help us understanding something that is both universal and cosmic. There's a seductive idea out there again in that competitive marketplace of worldviews that goes something like this, that human autonomy and deliverance from any governing moral authority is the greatest place of freedom and security that the human soul can live in. 
It's the world that our culture is immersed in, the pursuit of liberty of this kind. If we could just cast off all restraint, if we could just reduce all kind of moral governing authority, that we would truly be happy, that we would truly be free, and we would truly feel secure. And the brilliance of this proverb is it says, come, let us go into the marketplace. Let us go buy a tomato. Let us go buy some produce. You've got pocket, money in your pockets. You've got appetite in your belly. Let's go buy something in the marketplace. But the scales are false. Is it a place where you feel safe, this marketplace? <laughs> Is it a place where your, your desires can be realized in this marketplace? It is a place where you will be satisfied. You see, it's a, it's a metaphor of scale. One of my favorite things to do with my five-year-old grandson is to go to Qualicum Beach, and we make the ocean a little bit smaller every time we go. We throw rocks into the ocean, and it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's, the, it's, a, it's so much fun, and it's really cheap. <laughs> Except for the ice cream, which is really good. It's worth it. But if we throw a rock into the air and that rock doesn't come down, we know that the world as we know it has changed. Something on such a small scale, a tiny little rock that doesn't reach the ground, would tell us also that on the universal scale, on the cosmic scale, that the earth is no longer hurtling around the sun. And so this proverb uses that same kind of, of metaphor of, of scale, if there is no place even as simple as a marketplace that you can go into and there isn't an, an abhorrence where a false scale is considered an abomination, where something says, no, I hate that, then the same is true on a universal and a cosmic scale in the world in which we live. We use scales almost every day. Some people stand on them every day. I stand on it sometimes because I concerned that I don't weigh enough. I use a scale every morning to, to weigh coffee. 18 grams of coffee makes a fantastic shot of espresso, not one bean more, not one bean less. I, I wish I had one of those scales with a, with a sliding bar on it like we used to use in high school. It's very sad. I use a digital scale. It's got a battery in it. It makes me sad every time I use it. I grew up using understanding something about the significance of scales, driving into the grain elevators with my dad. My dad was a wheat farmer, and I'd climb in the passenger side on weekends when we were hauling grain to town, we'd drive into the grain elevator, pull the whole truck onto a scale, and we would weigh the, weigh the whole truck. And I'd get out and bounce around, young kid, and dad would say, when we were done, he'd say, Barry, get into the truck. I'd say, why? Well, because our tear has to be the same. Our weight has to be the same, or it's a false balance going in and going out. I grew up with some understanding of, of the significance of, the, of a scale that is right. If you go into a, a grocery store and you use the che self-checkout areas that are so common in stores now, you'll notice the little sticker that there is on the scale. And the sticker is that abhorrence of a false scale. It says it's got the uh, Canadian logo on it. It'll have all of the um, months punched out on them to make sure that that scale has been certified and checked to make sure that you know that that scale is right because of the sticker. Do you ever wish that governments had stickers? Do you ever wish churches had stickers? 
Ever wish, wish that news channels had stickers? Nothing false here. <laughs> wish the courts had a sticker on the front door? Nothing false here. Wish our classrooms had a sticker on the front door? Nothing false here. Businesses, a sticker on the door? Nothing false here. Wish that people had stickers on them? wonder if Nathaniel had a sticker on him when Jesus says, here is a man without guile, in whom there is no falseness. Of course, he didn't have a sticker on him. Jesus looked into him, and he knew that Nathaniel was a man without falseness and commended him for it. But if there is nothing in the world that stands opposed to falsehood, that finds it an abomination, and in whose own being there is no falsehood, we are truly lost. The false scale of the market represents a universal problem in our world. And we're all trying to make our way through it. A plague. A plague of falseness. The things that we, makes us feel secure in the world. Often we realize that they're riddled through and through with falseness. Andrew read earlier from Psalm chapter 12 where it says that men utter lies one to another. They're full of falsehood. Proverbs 13 verse 7 gives a tiny little example of falsehood. There's a man who is rich and pretends to have nothing. And there's a man who has nothing and pretends to be rich. It's falsehood. It's a crisis of identity. Think about the word for a moment. Falseness. Where does it come from? Why are we false? Why is there false? Why, why are we tempted to falsehood? Falseness is driven by some kind of a crisis. It doesn't just happen. There's, there's some kind of, something driving it. And it's a crisis. For example... Consider politics. I don't think you would consider me too cynical to say sometimes we face falseness in politics. But the crisis of politics is a crisis of popularity, a crisis of reputation. You have to win elections. You have to be popular. The falseness in our media comes from a crisis of ideas. The crisis of ideas is, is when people who are sending stuff out realize that the people they're sending it to don't think the way that they think. It's a crisis of ideas. How should people in our country think? And it leads to falseness. The falseness in business comes from a crisis of profit demand, shareholder demand, more profit next year, more profit next year. And the cycle goes on. But it creates the crisis in business that can create and drive falseness. Even in the things that we're struggling with right now in the news and to do with our health and what we should do and what we shouldn't do and health authorities, sometimes we struggle with, with falseness. And the crisis that, that drives the temptation to falseness there is the crisis of controlling behavior. How do you make people do things? The crisis in our courts, or the falseness in our courts, comes from a crisis of justice. And the falseness in our own character 
that we're so capable of comes from a crisis of identity. Who am I? Who can I trust? What can I trust? Leads to a crisis of insecurity that has led to a mass anxiety in the world in which we're walking in right now. And so in these days, we need to know. We need to know that there is a refuge. We need to know that there is a place where there is no falsehood and there never will be falsehood. Psalm 92, the last few words of Psalm 92 describe the vocation of God's people to to sing and declare that there is no unrighteousness in him. It is a tremendous anchor for the human soul and for the human mind. The harm of falseness, of course, is very, very real. If anyone knew that how we think about God matters, it was the devil. How we think about God matters. And the devil knew that, Genesis chapter 3. And that is exactly how he approached Eve, with falseness about God. How you, Adam and Eve, think about God will determine your behavior in God's garden. That falseness brought tremendous harm affecting every relationship between humans and every, every, between every human and God. And it led to that crisis of identity. The crisis of identity that led Adam and Eve to hide from one another and to hide from God. And that same kind of crisis, a crisis of acceptance, led Cain to be false with his brother Abel and to murder him. And human history is a story that then goes on to describe, really, the history of falseness that the devil brought into the world. Many of you know the kinds of pain and the kinds of pain intimately that falseness can bring, either by being the victim of it or by being the perpetrator of it, or both. When David wrote in Psalm 119, 163, oh, oh how I hate and abhor falsehood. No doubt he was speaking experientially, not just a random idea, not just a theoretical idea, but speaking experientially rather. How I abhor falsehood from having been treated falsely and also by acting himself falsely, treated so falsely himself by Saul. The first Samuel chapter 22 is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible to read through where Saul is pursuing David and he comes to the priests at Nob where David had gone previously to get a sword and some bread and the the priests fed him and Saul came along and manipulated his men to give him information about Saul and Dog the Edomite stood up and said I know where David is and what these priests have done. And David ordered the entire household of, or sorry, Saul ordered the entire household of priests to be slaughtered, every man, woman, and child. And Psalm 52 is David's response to that. Psalm 52 or David's indignation with the falseness that exists in the world. But on a different note, Psalm 51 is David's own cry of repentance a poignant cry to God for mercy for himself of having been the perpetrator of falseness 
with Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. But if the harm and pain of falseness is real, so is the God who abhors falseness also real. The God in whom there is no falseness, no fissure of his perfection, that God also is real. And it makes all the difference in the world. Thinking about God as a refuge, a refuge without faultness, all of that harms us, all of the injustice that is in the world, all of the things that we face, all of the pain that is inflicted in this world, all of the need that we have for forgiveness in our own souls, for the, for the harm that we have done through falseness. We make our way in this world by thinking about God in this way. There is something, there is someone in whom falseness will never be overlooked. It will never be trivialized. It will never be justified or practiced. Proverbs 14.26 says this, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Isn't that a wonderful thing? In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And that's, that's connecting the two. It's connecting thoughts about God and the way that our in, in, in the state of our minds in the way that we think about the world around us. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And the rest of the verse says this, and his children will have a refuge. His children will have a refuge. So it's, it's a faithful reminder to you that, it, that, that a whole household is affected. If parents are insecure, if parents are, are, are fearful, if parents are anxious, it affects the whole household and it affects children as well. So the question that I would ask you to pause on and consider sometime in the presence of God is this, that what kind of falsehood do you feel most threatened by? And consider the Lord, in whom there is no falseness, and who finds a false scale an abomination. The last half of the verse says this, a just weight is his delight. God's delight is our, our greatest hope. It is our great hope personally, and it is our great hope for the world in which we live. It is our great hope that the promises of God for us, as delivered to Abraham, that they're not false. There is no falseness in God. And the promises that are given to us in Jesus are not false. And when we, are, when we stand before God, our hope one day, when we stand before him, and we will, our hope is not that on that day, hopefully the scales will be broken. Hopefully God will randomly be willing to overlook some falseness. Hopefully it can be somehow be trivialized. Our, our hope, rather, is in Jesus. That on our behalf, he is a just weight on the scale. I hope you understand the gospel this way. That in all of our airlessness when it comes to righteousness, that it is the weight of Christ's blamelessness that stands on the scale of justice for us. And in his Son, in that right scale, 
is God's delight, our delight as well. All of his blamelessness, all of his perfection is attributed to us. So we have this amazing confidence as described in Hebrews chapter 10 that we can approach God, approach God knowing that he is a holy God, knowing that, that there is a sense of dread coming into the presence of such perfection, that there is an abhorrence of all that is full of fault, knowing that we are riddled through and through with falsehood. And to lay hold of Christ, to be able to approach the throne of God with confidence, not, not with presumption, but with faith. Because God is not false in his promises to us. And for the world in which we live, we know that in the end, this proverb will be true. A just weight is his delight. And that just weight will be his own justice that he will bring when he returns. And he will scrub, as was read earlier from Revelation chapter 21. He will scrub his creation of all that is false by casting out the devil and all that are aligned with him. And that will be his delight. And it will be our delight too. It is when the saints of God will shout, hallelujah, hallelujah. The day that all of us long for in the world in, in which we live, when we, when we grasp and feel and sense the weight of falselessness, falseness that is around us. May the words of the Apostle Paul in the epistle where he says, do not be false to one another. May they be true with us. May they be true not merely as an exhortation. Everybody understands the words, don't be false, don't lie to one another but may they be true of us because of the healing of the gospel, the healing of the crisis of identity in our own hearts and souls that tempts us to falseness. And may that healing come through the work of the Holy Spirit that allows us to call God our Father. Our Father, not by our own merits, but by the merits of the Son, Jesus, given to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we be able to also to walk in this world with peace and confidence in the world in which we live, not with anger, not with bitterness, not with resentment, not with suspicion, not with cynicism. The psalmist says, why art thou, Psalm 42, why art thou downcast, O my soul? You could also say, why art thou grumpy, O my soul? Why art thou miserable? Hope thou in God. The final prayer I'd like to offer is from Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 37. These will be my, my final words. It says, Mark the blameless and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Amen. May we take refuge in the Lord alone.